Greetings everyone, my name is Mike. I am a digital forensics detective in the center of the country and I wanted to talk a little bit today about Kyle Rittenhouse. Uh, we have an acquittal in that trial. There are a number of people out there who feel like that acquittal was a, a travesty, a miscarriage of justice. Everyone from presidents saying that they're angry about the jury's decision to congressmen saying that the Department of Justice should be uh, looking into Kyle to try him again uh, on federal cr crimes for the same sequence of events, which uh, I don't care what you say is double je jeopardy, uh, even though the courts have ruled that it's not. Um, all the way down to uh, your mother-in-law who gets all of her news from CNN or MSNBC and is therefore an expert on what's going on in the world. So I just want to run through and talk a little bit about um, the the case itself, some of the common things that people are going to say based on arguments made by the prosecution, as well as arguments made in a variety of news sources. I am a uh, voracious consumer of news when it's something that I'm interested in. I have listened to numerous attorneys, numerous uh, political pundits, numerous uh, news sources, both right-leaning and left-leaning on both sides of this topic and so I have a I think a fairly broad view of what's being said I also have the background in law enforcement which deals a great deal with uh, things like self-defense and so I bring that to the table as well so without uh, further ado let's talk about the sequence of events that night when it comes to Kyle Rittenhouse uh, the first thing that people will say and have said repeatedly is that Kyle Rittenhouse um, illegally transported a gun, an AR-15 style rifle. He transported that gun across state lines to the riots so that he could take part in the riots. Uh, this is misleading for a, a couple of reasons and the first one is that uh, a he never transported the rifle across state lines. That is not in evidence anywhere. Um, the fact of the matter is the rifle was stored in Wisconsin at his, he called him his brother, but really kind of his best friend, the guy who dated his sister and who he spent, uh, almost lived with at times. Um, that uh, is just absolutely false. He never transported the rifle across state lines. Uh, it was an AR-15 style rifle. Uh, the rifle itself was um, owned by his friend, uh, last name's Black, I can't remember his first name at the moment, uh, and the guy had bought the rifle so that with Kyle's money so that when Kyle turned 18 the rifle could be given to him because under the age of 18 you're not allowed to buy that rifle. Now people will say he was unlawfully carrying the rifle and that has been put to rest by the court as well. That charge was dropped he was originally charged with unlawful possession of that rifle, but that charge was dropped because a close reading of that statute reveals that if you're over the age of 16 in Wisconsin, you can carry a rifle so long as it is not con considered a uh, dangerous or uh, weapon. And a dangerous weapon in Wisconsin law, when it comes to rifles, is a rifle with basically the definition of a short barreled rifle, less than 16 inches, less than I believe 26 
inches overall and Kyle Rittenhouse's rifle was a full-size rifle um, AR-15 style rifle and therefore did not fall into the, cate the category of a uh, dangerous weapon under the statute. Therefore, if you're over 16 in Wisconsin, you can carry that rifle. The judge looked at the statute and determined that that was the case and so that charge was dropped. The next thing that people will talk about was that Kyle was in violation of curfew. He was breaking the law because he was out that night and there was a curfew order that was given. Um, however, there is some question as to the legality of that order. Also, there's some question as to the fact that nobody was enforcing that order. Um, there were, as, as you can see from the videos, there were hundreds and hundreds of people out there, quote unquote, in violation of the curfew. Um, and therefore, uh, for whatever legal reasons, that charge was also dropped. Kyle Rittenhouse, therefore, was not considered to be um, criminally violating that curfew. So those are some of the things leading up to the case. Kyle actually picked up the rifle from his friend's house who lives a short distance from downtown Kenosha. Kenosha is an area where Kyle has lived for, uh, spent basically a great deal of time since it's a, just the big town next to where he lives. So Kyle worked in Kenosha. His dad and family members lived in Kenosha. He uh, stayed with them at times. His best friend lived in Kenosha. Uh, basically, Kenosha was Kyle's hometown, or, or at, at the very least, you know, the, the big town next to his hometown. If you grew up like I did, out, out more or less in the country, that big town closest to you is, as a kid is where you spend a lot of your time. And so it's pretty easy to say, yeah, that's where I'm from. Despite the fact that it was across state lines, we all know if we live in the United States, that state lines really mean diddly. It's just a line on a map. You drive from one to the other, and if you live in a border uh, town on a uh, state borderline, then crossing that line, there are some cities that are on both sides uh, of, a, of a state line. And so you may go from one side of town to the other, and you're in another state. It's not like there's some checkpoint or you have to uh, nefariously sneak into the neighboring state. So that's, uh, again, one of those those arguments that people say to make Kyle look bad, but quite frankly, it's, uh, it doesn't make any sense. So that night he picked up the rifle from his friend's house. Uh, he had talked to an acquaintance, or his friend had talked to an acquaintance who um, had talked to uh, these, uh, I believe they were Salamani brothers, the, the uh, gentlemen who were in charge of kind of co-owned uh, their family owned the uh, the car lots in the trial they called them car source one two and three one of them apparently was called car doctor which was a mechanic shop uh, the these guys the Salamani brothers uh, Sam and Sal I believe is the nicknames they went by uh, testified that they had never asked anyone to watch their business and However, on cross-examination, it came out that what they were saying was extremely flimsy. They were actually um, witnesses called by the prosecution, but when it came down to it, uh, they, they basically, it was, it was 
pretty easy to feel like they were just basically saying what they had to say in order to avoid being sued by Anthony Huber, uh, basically the people that Kyle shot, their families. Uh, they didn't want to be sued by them, so they said, oh no, they didn't have any right to be there. However, multiple people testified that not only did they know they were there, they posed for pictures with them, they introduced the pictures in court, um, and they also uh, gave them keys and access to the buildings and ladders so that they could get on the roof of the building. And this was testified to by multiple people. So basically, these guys perjured themselves. In fact, uh, their stories were so flimsy that the detectives, when they originally interviewed them, put in their reports that these guys were lying. And so, indeed, they were still put on the stand by the prosecution. Uh, they were, the huge holes were blown in their story almost immediately. And so, uh, these guys did not have any credibility when it came down to everything that was going on. Um, but you will hear people say that they weren't allowed to be where they were, uh, meaning the people that Kyle was with. Kyle showed up with a group of several individuals that most of them didn't really even know each other, it sounded like, who um, had kind of come from different places to uh, assist with watching these car lots. And I don't know, it was kind of one of those deals where, you know, uh, the guy Nick who used to work for these car lots um, and had according to his testimony, had been uh, requested to organize some, some security for those places. He asked his friend, his friend knew some people, and they knew some people, and basically they wound up with, with however many, a couple dozen people or whatever it might be, to help kind of watch over these, these car lots because they had been severely damaged the night before in the riots. Uh, so in, during the course of that time, Kyle actually gave his body armor to one of his friends um, because Kyle being an ex extremely naive kid uh, didn't think that he would need it because his plan for that night while he was armed with an AR-15 his plan for that night was uh, to use his medical kit and uh, offer first aid and so forth and this is also shown in the testimony of numerous other other people and actually in the various videos, him going around saying, does anybody need a medic, etc., etc. So, <coughs> for uh, as, as far as that goes, that's what Kyle was doing there. Now, during the course of the night, the uh, police had pushed the rioters. It was kind of a uh, give and take. And so the rioters would, would move kind of up, the police would push them back, then the police would pull back and the rioters would move up. And this was all kind of happening uh, on, the, on the street where these car dealerships were during the course of the night. The, um, uh, there's, there's numerous pieces of evidence and, and uh, both video and testimony that say Kyle was rendering first aid to people, offering first aid to people. At some point during the night, um, people started setting dumpsters and uh, road barricades and trailers and so forth on fire. One of those people was a guy named jo Joseph Rosenbaum. Um, Joseph Rosenbaum had just been released from the mental hospital. Uh, he actually uh, was there, uh, my understanding, because of a domestic violence situation with his girlfriend. There was a restraining order in place preventing him from having any contact with his girlfriend, although she testified that he had 
uh, come to her hotel after he got out of the mental hospital and they'd had a good talk about how, um, you know, he was going to work on this and that and the other thing and they were going to work on their relationship, yada, yada. Uh, all those things are relatively irrelevant to the case, although it did come out during testimony. Uh, his girlfriend testified that he was taking medication for bipolar disorder and that she thought the hospital had given him his medication before he had been released. So Joseph Rosenbaum was uh, in the crowd and he was very agitated by the presence of these guys who were trying to defend these businesses. These guys also went out and if there was a fire that was threatening a structure or, or you know, basically burning in the middle of the street, they, they put out some of these fires. Um, which of course really ignited Mr. Rosenbaum because he was setting the fires. Uh, and there's ample evidence, video as evidence and so forth that he was involved in that activity. And so um, he got angry. He made s numerous threats. People had to hold him back. You know, he was saying, shoot me inward, hard R and uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And people were very, um, concerned about his behavior. He was, he stood out in the minds of, of almost everyone, uh, who they spoke to because of his behavior. He wound up in a lot of video clips because of his behavior. Uh, he was walking around according to some testimony and there was some people that kind of were hanging around watching him. Uh, it wasn't clear if they were actually partnered up with him or if they were just enjoying the show. Um, these people named Zeminski, who never actually testified, but were referred to a lot in the trial. Uh, Mr. Zeminski uh, was carrying a Glock handgun in his hand. I believe it was a Glock. It was a handgun in his hand, down by his leg most of the time. But, uh, you know, whereas the the people defending the car lots generally had their their rifles slung in front of their bodies, as, as uh, is kind of the modern way to do it. Um, he actually had the gun in his hand the entire time. So, uh, at, at some point, according to multiple people who testified, uh, Joseph Rosenbaum said, if I ever catch any of you guys alone, referring to the people that Kyle was with and Kyle, if I ever catch any of you guys alone, I'm going to effing kill you. And so the night continues on at some point, Kyle and the guy that he was kind of paired up with, you know, well, We'll call him his battle buddy because that's kind of what the a military term for it. But basically, you, you go around in pairs. The key and the guy he, he was paired up with made their way into the crowd to go check on one of the other car lot locations. On the way, they were asking if anybody needed medics. They were telling the protesters, hey, we're friendly, we're friendly, that kind of thing. Uh, and so at some point, Kyle got pulled off to the side. He was talking to somebody about whether they'd been shot with a... Uh, oh, uh, a pepper ball or something like that. And his, his battle buddy made his way on over to the, uh, other car lot. Uh, Kyle lost track of him. So now he's kind of out in the crowd by himself. He realizes this, he heads over to the other car lot. And then somebody says, Hey, there's a truck on fire down there. Um, he grabs a fire extinguisher and he, along with several other people one to including Joseph Rosenbaum kind of start jogging down toward the other car lot. Um, 
At some point, Joseph Rosenbaum gets in front of Kyle and goes back in kind of behind the cars where this truck is on fire and stops. Now, this is FBI drone footage. So he stops there and Kyle goes with the fire extinguisher and uh, up to the vehicle that's on fire. And then for whatever reason, he stops. Uh, the guy with the gun in his hand, Joseph Zeminski, is supposedly in that area. Now, there's, there's some debate whether Kyle raised his rifle uh, uh, towards Joseph Zeminski. Uh, Kyle doesn't remember doing it, according to his testimony. But he did set the fire extinguisher down. Something caught his eye. Um, and then Joseph Rosenbaum runs from behind the vehicle and starts chasing Kyle, yelling, gun, gun, gun. And Kyle runs away. And as he's running through the parking lot, Joseph Rosenbaum throws a bag with unknown objects in it. Now, they're saying it was mostly an empty bag, maybe an empty water bottle and so forth. I've watched the video and uh, the bag flies with some force. So I don't know what was in it, uh, obviously, but I, I do know that it flew with some force. Now, uh, having been in foot pursuits with people, I can tell you that it is tempting sometimes to try to throw something at him to knock him off balance or whatever. That may be what he was doing. I, I can't see in his mind. But anyway, so Kyle runs and as he's running, he kind of turns, sees that Rosenbaum's still chasing him, turns again. Uh, Richard Zeminski, the guy with the, the gun in his hand, fires his gun into the air. Now, Kyle's back is to Rosenbaum at this moment. He hears a shot. He continues to run into um, some cars there in the, in the parking lot. At that point, he now has to maneuver through cars, which slows him down. Rosenbaum is still running full sprint at him. So Kyle turns around, Rosenbaum lunges at him, yells F you and lunges at him. And according to the testimony is reaching for his gun. Kyle fires four rounds, bang, 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 bang. Uh, actually uh, that was five, but he, he only fired four times, but it was within three quarters of a second. So he, it's just pull the trigger as fast as you can four times. Uh, and basically as Rosenbaum is, is, diving for the gun. One of the bullets strikes him in the hip. Uh, one of the bullets strikes him in the hand where he's actually, uh, basically his hand is at the muzzle of the gun and part of his hand is actually past the muzzle of the gun, uh, based on the, uh, medical examiner's information. So he strikes him in the hand. Uh, Rosenbaum is, his momentum continues to carry him forward. One bullet, um, grazes the side of his, uh, head. And then one bullet enters uh, basically kind of up around his shoulder blades and travels down his body, uh, through his body to like into his hip. And that's actually the fatal round. And so to, to give you an idea, imagine someone kind of going Superman at you as they're diving, you're standing with a rifle as their momentum carries them down. That last round goes into his back and, and down. And so that's, um, how, Kyle shoots Joseph Rosenbaum. A couple of things that will come up. The first is Kyle was provoke was provoking Joseph Rosenbaum by pointing his gun at Richard Zeminski. Um, there's no, uh, there's actually no evidence of that. There is some question of whether or not Kyle raised his gun. Kyle says he didn't. There's uh, the drone video footage that 
was such a big deal that, uh, quite frankly, the defense should have never let in. And once the judge found out that the prosecution gave the defense a, a um, different version of the video, a worse version of the video than what they had, the, the judge should have actually certainly excluded it, most likely uh, uh, declared a mistrial. But uh, in any event, when the, the shots went off, um, or when prior to the shots going off, there's some uh, conversation that, that Kyle provoked Joseph Rosenbaum by pointing his gun at someone else. Even the prosecution says, well, he raised his gun, but there's no evidence of where he was pointing it because the Zeminskis are not visible in that video. The only testimonial evidence we have of that moment is uh, from Kyle himself, and he denies doing it. <coughs> so, um, Joseph Rosenbaum starts uh, chasing him at that point, and Kyle runs away. Well, un under the uh, law in Wisconsin, if you provoke somebody, you lose your right to self-defense. However, if you show that you're no longer in the fight by running away, uh, and what they say is retreating, and declaring that you're not in the fight, uh, then you regain the right to self-defense. So in this situation, uh, I, I would argue that his running away declared that he was no longer in the fight and showed that he was retreating, and therefore he did regain the right of self-defense. Um, even if he did raise the gun, which quite frankly, there's, there's to say that, that that happened beyond a reasonable doubt, I think is very difficult. So, uh, that's one of the things that people will say, well, he provoked Joseph Rosenbaum who was trying to defend his friend. Well, he wasn't trying to do defend his friend when he was shot. His friend was, was way in the hell gone. He was no longer in the picture. He was way back there somewhere else. And Kyle wasn't looking at his friend. He is, his back was turned and he was running as fast as he could away. So it's just, it's just not, not possible. Um, when Rosenbaum lunged for the gun, there, there's some people saying, well, he just fell. Kyle shot him and then he fell. Uh, however, that doesn't jive with the person who was right behind them who said that Rosenbaum, this was another prosecution witness, but Rosenbaum yelled, fuck you, and uh, reached for the rifle. So that right there, you know, contradicts anything that... Um, and that was a supposed victim in the in the situation. So the that's another answer to the question of provocation. Now, uh, after he shoots Rosenbaum, that there's a guy named Jimmy McGinnis who's the one who uh, testified uh, that Rosenbaum yelled "fuck you" and lunged for uh, Kyle's gun. Uh, McGinnis uh, basically, again, a prosecution witness and was also defined as a victim. If Kyle is justified in using self-defense against Rosenbaum, then reckless endangerment, which is what they said uh, Kyle was charged with when it came to McGinnis, uh, is actually, he, his self-defense covers that as well. Having said that, McGinnis also said that he had moved offline uh, from the two of them because he was trying to film things. He had his, uh, his phone in his hand. That's his job as a uh, uh, a reporter basically and so he was trying to film things and so as Kyle uh, was before Kyle shot he had actually moved offline uh, probably to try to get a better 
angle of what was happening. So either way, that uh, that reckless endangerment charge uh, falls away if there's self-defense or if McGinnis is no longer in the line of fire. Kyle runs around the car after shooting Rosenbaum, goes up, sees that McGinnis is rendering first aid. People start yelling and screaming, he just shot somebody, he just shot somebody. Cranium that boy is what uh, Zeminski said. Zeminski's wife is screaming, uh, get him, get him. A whole crowd starts running along, chasing Kyle. Kyle, seeing this, sees the police line, all the police cars and, and lights, up the street a few blocks, and he starts running towards the police line. Now, at this point, uh, the prosecution says, well, these, these people thought that Kyle was an active shooter, and so they decided that they were going to stop him. Now, the entire incident, from Rosenbaum being shot to Kyle actually attempting to turn himself into the police was two and a half minutes, which is a very short period of time. However, it is also a very long period of time if you consider that the first shots happened in three quarters of a second. The, he then runs for uh, at least a minute or so, which if you stop and just let a minute pass, you see that that's quite a bit of time. During that time, he's not shooting at anybody. He's not pointing his rifle at anybody. He's just running toward the police. Um, Gage, I can't pronounce his last name, uh, who's the paramedic that had the gun that uh, Kyle shot in the bicep eventually, uh, runs up to Kyle and says, what did you do? Kyle says, it, it's, it's hard to tell exactly what he says, but uh, he says, I'm going to the police. So Gage knows somebody's shot. People are yelling that somebody's shot back down the street. But instead of uh, putting on his paramedic hat to go help the guy that's shot, he pulls out his handgun as he continues to run after Kyle. Um, he's carrying a concealed Glock. Um, his concealed weapons permit was uh, not valid because he'd been charged with some other crimes. Uh, and it had been revoked, apparently. So he's running after Kyle. Uh, at some point, somebody runs up behind Kyle and whacks him with a skateboard. Kyle continues to run. Uh, somebody else uh, hits him in the head, knocks his hat off. Um, he takes a couple more steps and then stumbles and falls. As soon as he falls, he kind of rolls over to look at the crowd that's chasing him. And a guy jumps up. They call him Jump Kick Man kicks Kyle in the face, and it's, it's clear on the video that he kicks Kyle in the face. Kyle testifies that he's kicked in the face. The blow actually kind of spins Kyle around and back down to the ground. Kyle shoots at the guy twice, misses. The guy runs away, uh, never to be seen again, according to the prosecution. However, there is now information that possibly the prosecution was lying about that, and they did know who the guy was. Um, in any event, uh, Kyle... Uh, shoots at the guy, misses. This is uh, the next reckless endangerment charge. The, this charge, um, again, is negated by self-defense. If you don't think that getting kicked in the head can cause serious bodily injury or death, which is basically why you would be able to use self-defense in order to... Uh, uh, why you'd be able to use deadly force in self-defense because you're in fear of imminent uh, serious bodily injury or death. Uh, serious bodily injury or death basically means 
uh, broken bones, permanent disfigurement, um, uh, you know, permanent loss of use of part of the body, uh, burns, uh, scars, things like that. Um, so in, in this case, uh, a kick in the face with a angry mob chasing you absolutely, uh, could rise to that, uh, to that situation. And so it's reasonable, uh, for Kyle to believe that, uh, he's in danger of serious bodily injury or death. So he fires two rounds, misses. Then, um, a guy named Anthony Huber runs up with a skateboard and cracks Kyle on the back of the head. Now, people say he's unarmed. Well, he's actually carrying a club with, with big metal um, knobs on it because that's what a skateboard is. Um, if you, I, I challenge you to go find a skateboard, even a, a small skateboard, and go smack it into a, a, a wall a couple of times, see what it does to your wall. The, the fact is that a skateboard absolutely can cause serious bodily injury or death. Kyle Rittenhouse was indeed struck in the head with that skateboard. And then the guy grabs the barrel of Kyle's gun and tries to, with his momentum, run and pull the gun away from Kyle. Well, if you look at the, the video and then you look at the uh, coroner's report, basically as the guy is pulling the rifle towards himself by the barrel, Kyle shoots. Now, frankly, it's very possible um, that Kyle didn't even consciously pull the trigger in this situation because if you think about it, the direction that the gun is being pulled by Huber, if Kyle's finger's on the trigger, which we know because he just fired a skateboard man, you know, a second earlier, if his finger's still on the trigger and he pulls it in that direction and Kyle's trying to hang on to the gun, then very likely that movement right there could have caused the trigger uh, to be depressed. One round is fired. It goes through both lungs and, and the heart of Anthony Huber. He uh, runs a few steps, falls, and dies. While this is happening, um, Gage, the paramedic, the Glock-toting paramedic who was more interested in shooting Kyle than helping Rosenbaum, um, runs up. That round goes off, and Gage... Um, flinches. He, he kind of covers up and then he immediately jumps up with his gun, uh, kind of, uh, what would I say? Kind of, you know, moving forward, focused in on Kyle, bringing the gun forward. Kyle looks at him, raises the rifle. Gage puts his hands up and his, his weight goes back. Kyle, you can see in the in the in the video and in the the freeze frames of the video, kind of lowers the gun and looks around. At that point, Gage moves forward again, starts to bring his gun towards Kyle. Admits on the stand that his gun was pointed at Kyle when Kyle shot, and Kyle's round actually uh, goes through Gage's uh, right bicep, um, basically just destroying his his bicep, uh, which basically locks up his arm and he's no longer able to to use the gun immediately he starts screaming for a medic Kyle gets up looks around numerous shots are going off now Kyle's in the middle of the street without any any cover or anything else he doesn't shoot at anybody he kind of looks around with his with his AR doesn't see any more threats and then continues to run to the police attempts to turn himself in the police officers um, tell him to get away, get away. They actually spray him with pepper spray. And so he's not able to turn himself in. He goes back and eventually finds his buddies. They take him back to Illinois and then uh, 
couple hours later, he goes and turns himself into the Antioch Police Department in the town where his mom lives. So, um, there are a number of things that I tried to cover what most of the questions that I've heard are. There's a number of, of problems. First off, a person can use and should be able to use um, force to, to defend themselves from what they believe is imminent bodily harm. And they should be able to use deadly force when they believe that that bodily harm would rise to the level of um, imminent serious bodily injury or death. I've talked about what that means. And so in this situation with a, an angry mob chasing you, it is reasonable to, to believe that if uh, you are incapacitated or even held up in some way, that you are going to suffer imminent serious bodily injury or death. Um, for the people that say that he was an active shooter, that's why people were chasing him. If he's not shooting anybody now and he's an active shooter, but he's running to the police, A, he's no longer an active shooter, B, he's trying to get to the police, why would you stop him from doing that? Uh, this isn't about them heroically stopping an active shooter, that's a lie. That's a, that's a purposeful mischaracterization because it's very clear that what he's trying to do is get to the police. And so there's no other reason why he would have run in that direction. So that, that story is absolutely untrue. Uh, any white supremacist stuff. Now, people say Kyle Rittenhouse was a white supremacist because when he got out of jail, he went to a bar with his family in, in uh, Wisconsin. You can have a beer at a bar um, if your family's present, if you're underage. And that's true in, in my state as well. And so he was having a beer and some people in the bar, turns out, were um, possibly associated with the Proud Boys, which is an organization that uh, is, they've, they've said is white supremacist, which is interesting because actually the, the leader of the Proud Boys, who's actually in jail right now, uh, is not a white, white person. He's actually a multi-race person, as is Kyle for that matter. Um, they say that uh, he has ties to white supremacy because of this whole Proud Boy thing. Um, the, the, according to his attorneys, he had no idea that those guys were there. He had no idea who they were. Um, they recognized him and posed for some pictures with him. He does the OK sign, which uh, has been determined by whoever determines these things to be some kind of a white supremacist um, uh, you know, symbol or, or hate, hate speech type symbol, uh, which is interesting because, you know, there's pictures of President Obama doing the same thing. So uh, it, it's just, they try to conflate things. They try to take things like the blue line flag, which is, which is just a tribute to fallen officers and the, the, uh, the thing that keeps chaos out of society. And they try to make that into white supremacy or, or, yeah, they're they're trying to take away our symbols, and that's that's a whole nother blog. But uh, and the fact of the matter is that um, they say that Kyle was doing some kind of white supremacy BS, uh, which is just untrue. Um, in fact, n n the only mixed race person that was killed or harmed in that whole situation with Kyle, um, or that was involved in that whole situation with Kyle, was Kyle. The 
he did shoot at the black guy, the uh, jump kick guy, but he missed. Everybody else was a white guy except for Kyle, who was mixed race. So, you know, that, that whole white supremacy thing, that is a lie. Anyone who tells you that is being willfully dishonest to you. Um, the, the, somebody saying that the, the system didn't work. If you believe that people should have the right to dis- defend themselves, which I will tell you as a police officer, you better believe because the police have no duty to protect you. That is absolutely settled case law. The police have no duty to protect you. That's up to you. In general, the police are the ones that take the report after you've been assaulted. They investigate the crime and they try to go get the guy afterwards. But you are the one who's responsible for the defense of yourself and your family. And so if you take away the right of self-defense, how do you do that? That means that no one can protect you, including yourself. Because when seconds count, police are only minutes away. And I say that as a police officer. And I will tell you that every rank and file police officer I know believes in things like concealed carry because of that. Now, politicians who claim to believe police officers, oh, I was chief of police and whatever. Okay, well, you don't speak for rank and file cops. I'm sorry, but uh, every rank and file cop I know, and I've been doing this for 30 years, absolutely believes that uh, people have to defend themselves. And so if you believe that there's a right to self-defense, then, and you look at all the circumstances in which Kyle Rittenhouse found himself in that night, every shot he fired, and there were only eight, if you listen to Joe Scarborough, he says 60 rounds, which is, again, a bald-faced lie. A bald-faced lie told about a 17-year-old kid. So that whole situation, every round Kyle fired was fired in self-defense in a time when he believed that he was in uh, imminent danger of serious bodily injury or death. Now, there was a bunch of prosecutorial misconduct in this case, and, and we'll talk about that in another in another podcast. Uh, but at least I hope that this gives you some information that you can use when you hear people say, well, that's not what happened. Well, now you know what happened. If you don't believe anything I say, then go and, and look at the look at the testimony. It's there. It's all there for you to see. So Kyle did not provoke these people by his mere presence with a gun. If that was the case, then every open carry state, you'd be able to attack anyone that you saw who was open carrying a firearm. That's not provocation. Kyle did not provoke just uh, Joseph Rosenbaum. That's it's not provocation when you can't even say that he for sure raised the rifle, and then he ran away, which would even if it was provocation, uh, which would have reestablished his right to self-defense. So this whole thing, um, if you have a problem with it, then I'd love to know why. So if you would like to. Uh, uh, let me know in, in comments. I would be glad to hear it. Beyond that, I'm going to tell you, uh, thank you for listening. This, uh, has been a relatively long, uh, recording and I know it's not terribly polished, but I do appreciate your attention and hopefully it helps you, uh, to understand the situation better and to articulate, uh, exactly why Kyle Rittenhouse was legally justified in the things that he did. Thank you.